Scripture reading this morning will come from the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8. For those following along in the Pew Bibles, that will be found on page 1004. 1004. We'll begin in verse 9 and go through 17. Verse. Starting verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. For if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit of life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, but if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It does encourage us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, We continue a series this morning as we study the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. You know, if we were to discuss attributes of God, and we said, name things about God the Father... Many could probably list several things. We said name attributes of God the Son. Many could name perhaps several things. But would you agree that probably our list of attributes would become shallow when we said name things about God the Spirit? And what is even perhaps just as sad is not only oftentimes, at least in the religious community around us in America today, Are we shallow in our understanding of the Holy Spirit? But perhaps we're even incorrect more often than we are correct. You know, I think a bit of this problem has a lie at the feet of preachers. I don't think we've taught enough. I don't think we have revealed enough of what God's Word reveals to us. You see, there are so many things that the Word of God teaches us about the Holy Spirit. I remember last year receiving a text from Colton one day that simply said, Dad, we don't hear enough about the Holy Spirit. There needs to be more teaching. Last night I was talking to my oldest daughter, Lacey. She's on the mission trip in West Virginia right now. And and we were just telling each other, uh, good night. And she said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm working on a, a sermon about the Holy Spirit. 
And her immediate response was, oh, you're preaching on the Holy Spirit? Don't do that tomorrow while I'm away. Wait, I want to hear that sermon. I have so many questions. And so I almost feel like I need to begin with an apology. That is it a fact that we, myself, the preacher, has neglected teaching about a member of the Godhead? And if so, how has that affected us? And and how terrible it would be to neglect God. God the Spirit. To place an emphasis on God the Spirit does not mean that we become charismatic and that we begin a belief in speaking in tongues and we demand that modern day miracles be performed. Perhaps it's because of the fear of being misunderstood in that way that we allow the pendulum to swing too far back the other way to ignore or even become apathetic to the Spirit of God. And of course, neither of these extremes would be wise, but there is a truth that is revealed in God's Word that helps us to understand what the Spirit, who the Spirit is, and what the Spirit can do in our lives. And so this morning and tonight and and maybe again in future weeks, we can look at, at attributes and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. This past week, Tracy and I flew out to California to visit Colton. He's doing an internship there in the summer in Fresno. And uh, he worked most of the time that, that we were there. And so we would hang out with him the evenings or the mornings. Uh, but one particular day, we drove to a neighboring town of Clovis. And Clovis was a place that most of you women would probably really, really like. And a lot of you guys would kind of endure it, if you know what I mean. A lot of little home-owned shops. It's obvious that it was a place that pulled uh, especially women from all of the towns around. It did lean toward tourism, but it wasn't just a tourist spot. You could tell it was just a, a hot little shopping area, a lot of antiques, a lot of clothing stores. All of them were just boutique style things. Well... To kill a little time while Tracy was in one, I noticed a sports memorabilia store. I enjoy sports. I am not any kind of collector in any sort of fashion or form. And so I didn't go in there uh, to, to check out something particular. I just went in there to waste a little time. And as I'm, I'm looking around, I was impressed with how many things he had autographed, pictures, cards, uh, just all, all kinds of things. And, and so after a little while, Tracy stepped in the store and, and she found me. And so we were preparing to walk out of the store. And, and as I walked out, I just said to the owner there, I said, hey, you really have some neat things. I enjoy spending some time in your store. Well, you know how when you have something that is so good, You just can't help but tell it. Just saying you have some neat stuff just kind of set off a little friendly conversation. He said, you want to see something neat? Now, my first thought was, buddy, I probably won't think it's neat, but go ahead and try. I I don't know your line of business. I, I wouldn't know it if you put it right in front of me. I said, sure, show it to me. He reaches back and he gets this little clear case and it has a card in it that is about a quarter inch thick. And he says, you see that card right there? And I'm holding in my hand this card that has 
uh, Kobe on it. It has James on it. It has Jordan on it. Not only that, it has a patch of each of their jerseys. And not only that, it has, which by the one, by the way, the one you're looking at now is not the actual card. I couldn't find the actual, a picture of the actual card. But also the one uh, that I'm holding also has an, each of their autographs. And on top of that, it's one of three. And he says, you see this box of cards right here? And it looked about the size of a Scrabble box. He said, I buy two of these each year because I have two doctors that collect basketball cards and they're the only ones that can afford these sets. And he said, um, I buy two sets. I'm thinking, wow, that must be a lot of cards. $1,000 a box, five cards. And he said, last year, whenever the, the second doctor came in to purchase his, he'd waited so late in the year that he said, well, don't the new ones come out in just a few weeks? I confirmed that. And, and he said, well, i tell you what, just keep that and order me next year's. And so the guy literally hands the box back to him. He said, well, I hung on to it for several weeks, and then I realized I don't have anybody that can afford this. So he said, what I decided to do was open it up, pull out the five in the hopes that I could recoup some of my loss and selling the cards individually. He said, when I opened it up, and I saw that this particular card was there, I immediately knew not only was I going to recoup my loss, he said, I realized I was holding the most expensive card I've ever owned. He said, the only reason I have it here today is because I got it out of the vault and brought it in today because I have a buyer who's going to come by and look at it. I have another buyer that just contacted me yesterday from China. That buyer is willing to give me $110,000. For one card. You want me to show you something kind of neat? See how you can't hold it back? See how you have to tell it? And isn't it interesting that it was in that box and that doctor held the box, but then the doctor said, you have this, order me next year's. What did the doctor give up? Why did he give it up? I find myself wondering if we don't do the same thing with the Holy Spirit. Are we so quick to just give up the Holy Spirit because we've not looked into the Word of God and we don't really know what is taught about the Holy Spirit? And if we truly knew about the Holy Spirit, we would probably be saying to others, can I tell you about the Holy Spirit? What a wonderful gift the Holy Spirit is to us. You know, when we look at Acts, the second chapter in verse 38, on the day of Pentecost, those individuals were told as they asked, what shall we do to be saved? They were told to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. And notice, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This gift we receive. We receive a part, a member of the Godhead. It's not a force. It's not an influence. He is God. And we receive God. And with God, the question is, are we going to draw near to Him and grow that relationship and allow Him to be the stabilizing force in our life? Or are we going to become distant 
to God. You see, the next passage that we have on the screen, you'll notice that we have Ephesians 4 and 30, where he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Any of us that are parents, we know what it is like to see our children do something that is wrong, that we know, number one, it's wrong. Number two, we know that it's going to hurt them in the long run. And, and what does it do? It grieves us. The Holy Spirit loves us and wants to nurture us. And when we rebel against the way of the Holy Spirit, it grieves the Holy Spirit that we have done so. As a matter of fact, we can turn our back so much upon the Holy Spirit that in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 19, almost one of the shortest verses of the Bible says, do not quench the Spirit. When you feel like you are dying of thirst and you take a large cold glass of water and you drink it until your thirst is quenched, it's gone. You have killed that thirst. Here the plea that Paul makes to those of Thessalonica is don't quench the Holy Spirit. This morning, I hope we all recognize that as we're saved, we're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we should live in such a way not to bring grief and definitely not to quench the Holy Spirit, but yet in a way to allow our life to become a life that is led by the Spirit of God. What does that mean? In the text that was so capably read this morning in Romans the 8th chapter, Romans the 8th chapter is about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is the star, if you will, of this chapter. The Holy Spirit is the hero of this chapter. There's much that we can learn about the work of the Holy Spirit as we look at this great chapter. If you look again in Romans the 8th chapter in verse 10, he said, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now it's interesting here that he talks about that at the beginning of 10, Christ is in you. Throughout this passage, we see us being in Christ, Christ being in us. We see us being led by the Spirit. We see the Spirit being in us. For example, if, if you back up to verse 9, notice how it says, For if, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And look at the end of verse 11 where he says, Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. There are so many passages that talk about the Spirit of God dwelling in us. Allow that to resonate in your mind and in your heart for a moment. God dwelling in us. How powerful is that? What a gift that is and what a blessing that is in our life. Notice the Spirit, he says in 10, is life. Now, you may also notice that he said in 10, but if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. Because we're saved does not mean that we will not encounter the enemy of death. We will. Our physical bodies will still die. We will decay. But the Spirit gives our soul life. Now, yes, we most of the time, for very good reason, talk about Jesus Christ saving us. But in this chapter, we come to a realization that the Holy Spirit 
is also involved in our salvation. Now, notice this phrase in 10, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Put that thought, file that in your memory for just a moment. We're going to come back to that in a minute. That Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now let's drop back to verse 1 before the text that was read this morning. And let's work our way through some of these verses. In the 8th chapter in verse 1, we read about our salvation when he says, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There's no condemnation. The Bible is full of passages that speak about mankind's condemnation. You remember what is oftentimes called the the favorite verse in the Bible, John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you remember what the very next verses are? Listen to 17 and 18. For God did not send His Son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now we can read on, but but do you see the setting there? In other words, Jesus did not come to this earth and because he died on the cross, now everybody that doesn't live for him now is lost and everybody that lives for him is saved. That is incorrect. That is a, a flawed philosophy or understanding of mankind's situation. Understand this. Mankind was lost. Mankind was condemned. Whether Jesus came to this earth or not, mankind was condemned. So what did Jesus do? Jesus came down to a world that was full of individuals that was condemned, that were condemned, and he offers his life to save them. And so now everyone that wants to be in Christ, separate from the world that's condemned, everyone that wants to be in Christ, they can live. Well, how does that fall into this passage in Romans 8 and 1? Notice, there was no condemnation to those who were in Christ. Remember how you get into Christ? Romans 6, verse 3, Galatians 3 and 27 were baptized into Christ. And so those that are in Christ have no condemnation. But notice the rest of that. It's not two sentences here. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Do you want to be an individual that says, I'm living a life that will not be condemned? What do you mean you're living a life? I'm living a life in Christ, walking by the Spirit. You see, those two go hand in hand. You can't separate those. Notice now, as we think about not only our salvation, but notice also this law that is introduced in verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, what is that law? The law of the spirit of life. That's interesting. There is a law of the spirit. Now, it's not going to be a a different gospel. Romans 1 and 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation. He's talking about that good news that is revealed to us. But here, he's talking about the law of the spirit. Now, remember, it was the spirit of life because of righteousness. Let's put together something else here. Notice in in verse 4, 
I'm going to read three, but I want you to notice the first phrase in four when we get there and connect it to the spirit of the law. Verse three, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. That's talking about the Old Testament right there, that law. And that's talking about Moses' law. And, and I know we're not in a Bible class setting, and, and so, but I'm just going to throw this out for clarity if you want to study it deeper. There's a few times in this book where it's talking about a law of death, and that's talking about the fact that that we die physically. Then there's other times here that he talks about a law and he's talking about the Old Testament. And he's talking about the law of Moses. And so you have to look at the setting each time to see the difference. And so now in verse three, for the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. That's Moses' law. God did. And the reason that the Moses' law was weak is that it didn't offer the forgiveness of sins. And that's why Jesus came uh, to, to offer that uh, justification and redemption for us. But, but notice, God did it by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Why? That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The righteous fulfillment or the righteous requirement of the law. This morning, if I talked with you about Jesus Christ dying on the cross and being a substitution for us. You know, I think about that, uh, the illustration I heard years ago as a teenager about the man who his job was to op operate the drawbridge and every day at four o'clock, he would pull the drawbridge open. He'd let a ferry pass. And by 4.30, he would lower it down. He'd let a passenger train pass over the tracks. And, and on a particular day, he took his son to work. And as he raised the drawbridge up, his son went out to watch it closer. He was in, intrigued by all the mechanics of that. And, and then when it came time to lower the drawbridge, he couldn't find his son. And he went out looking for his son. He saw that his son had fallen down in the gears of this humongous drawbridge. And just as he recognized the danger of his son, he immediately in the distance heard the whistle of the train. And he knew immediately he had to make a decision. There wasn't enough time to save his son and lower the bridge. And so he had to decide, am I going to save everybody on that train? And if I do, it's going to cost the life of my son. And so with tears coming down his face and, and a cry of anguish, he pushed the lever knowing that as he saved everyone on that train, he was giving the life of his son. Now we see that and we understand in that analogy, that's a pretty good analogy. It's not a perfect parallel by any means, but it helps us to understand it, it was either our death or Jesus' death. When he died on the cross, we were going to die for our sins and eternal death or he was going to pay the price of the curse of death for us. He was a perfect sacrifice. Now we understand that and we say, I comprehend salvation now. Wait a minute, do you really? Because even though this may seem strange to us from a physical, fleshly being, think for a moment when the Lord teaches us something, it's something we need to know. And you know what he tells us here about the law of the Spirit? He says the law of the Spirit is the Spirit takes the substitutionary death of Jesus and the Spirit applies it to us. So that when God the Father looks at us, He sees us as if He were seeing His Son. 
Someone says, I, I don't see how God can see me as perfect. When I'm a child of God, He sees me through the substitution of the death of His Son. Someone says, I don't see how He can do that. It's the law of the Spirit. It was the requirement of righteousness that had to be fulfilled. Let's look at the same thing and come from a little bit different angle. Both are true. Both helps us understand it. God is holy. Remember what he said in Peter, I, be ye holy for I am holy. God is holy. If you're going to have fellowship with God, you too are going to have to be holy. God does not have fellowship with anybody or anything that defiles. God is holy. The same word in the Greek that's translated holy is also translated sanctify. And, and we'll look at that a little bit later, maybe even tonight. And, and it's also translated purify sometime. But it's the idea of, of being separate from the world. It's being pure, not uh, defiled. God is holy. How are we going to have fellowship with God? The only way we can have fellowship with God is for Christ's righteousness to be imputed to us. And the only way that that can be done is first because Christ died for us and second because the spirit of the law applies His gracious gift of righteousness to us. And that's why now we can boast of righteousness that's not our own righteousness, but righteousness that we have received from God. What a beautiful, beautiful thought. Now, tonight, when we come back together tonight, I want you to see the rest of, of verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, and then going in deeper into the text that was read this morning in 14, 15, and 16, and then hopefully we'll even have enough time to drop down and, and see verses 25, 26, and 27. And what we see is, and, and, and I hope you're coming back tonight, really, for an understanding of this topic, I hope you are. We're going to see that one of the major roles, when we talk about the roles of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, one of the major roles that's revealed to us in the Scripture is that the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. And, and we can look at it at several places tonight. And, and we'll see how that falls into this teaching here in Romans 8 where he says, I give you a law of the Spirit, and that law of the Spirit is going to sanctify us. It's going to set us apart from the world. But then we'll also see how it is the Holy Spirit that makes a way of adoption for us. But then we'll also see how the Holy Spirit literally makes intercession on behalf of us when we go to pray and don't know exactly what to pray. What a wonderful gift God gives us when He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. This morning, have you received any great gifts in your life? If you were to list like the greatest gift that's ever been given to you, maybe it's a $110,000 baseball or basketball card. Maybe there's other things that you say this was a very special gift. Do you realize that when we come to the Lord, 
there are so many blessings that we couldn't count them all. But one of the things that the Lord asks of us is to live a life that is a life of sanctification, to be set apart from the world. Another term in the scriptures that refers to that is repentance. Our part is to repent and turn to God and live that life that is sanctified. This morning, have you done that? Have you left the world and have you left living for self? And have you moved into a close relationship with God where you've laid everything at His feet? If not, I'd encourage you to think about that. If you'll give me 30 more seconds, we'll sing a song of invitation. It's so easy for us to say, oh, I want life in the Spirit. But this week I ask you to meditate and pray. Do you really want life in the Spirit? Because that's laying it all at God's feet. And that's saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. I trust you. Whatever your will is in my life, I trust you. It would be the best decision we've ever made to be able to say, I'm living a life led by the Spirit, where we literally go back to God in everything. But it truly is a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of self. I hope that everybody here this morning can say, I do want that. No matter what it costs, I'm willing to lay it down at the Lord's feet. This morning, if you've never been baptized into Christ, why not? Why not make that move and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Maybe you've been baptized into Christ and along the way, you've lost the way. And you've been living by the flesh and not by the Spirit. And this morning, you want to repent of that. You'll come back and seek God's forgiveness. The Heavenly Father has His arms open wide and He's always ready to forgive. If we can help you and encourage you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.